when I see that poverty is really about having those broken relationships and it's not just about a lack of material stuff, then what it does is it says to me, I am as impoverished as someone who is living with a, a lack of food or a lack of housing or a lack of shelter. And so the ground is leveled in that sense. I am equally in need of redemption and reconciliation and healing as anybody else. Now, the difference is I am not equally vulnerable. This episode was recorded prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Some aspects discussed may not be relevant in our current context, but we hope this can still spur discussion and provide content in this difficult time. As always, you can visit ptc.sh slash talk to someone to find support from any of our online mentors. Welcome to another episode of Undiscussed. My name is Eric. And I'm Caroline. And this is a show where we talk about things that Christians should talk about, but often don't. And, you know, Caroline, we often uh, say we're not experts because you and I are definitely not experts. I'll speak for myself. And, I'm definitely not. Yeah. Whatever the topic is, I'm not an expert. And uh, the topic we have today is definitely a topic that I am not an expert in, uh, and that is the one of poverty. And uh, I'm very excited to talk about this uh, with our guest because uh, I have very little experience. I was born into a family with uh, lots of resources and uh, have been able to, to, you know, have access to resources my entire life. Uh, but it's not just about money. It's not just about money. And our guest is actually going to share a bit more about that. We're joined by Shalene Strom. She's from Ending Poverty Together. Uh, welcome, Shalene. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here this morning. Yeah, it's quite early for you. Uh, for our listeners, Shalene is in BC. It's an early morning, um, so we appreciate you taking the time, <laughs> despite the morning voice and the grogginess that comes with it. Yeah, no problem. I have a, a, an appreciation because I am not a morning person. I'm a night owl. I can stay up all night easier than I could get up, and uh, so I, I really, <laughs> I really appreciate, especially because uh, I didn't have to get up too early this morning to get here for this. But now you just rolled in. Yeah, You're good just, to go. Yeah. Well, maybe for our listeners who who don't know you, Shalane, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? We we've let the cow out of the bag. You're from BC. But uh, mm -hmm. what else can we know about you? Sure. I work with an organization called Food for the Hungry, and that is an international development organization, Christian organization. And we work around the world with people who are living in extreme uh, poverty situations. And my role with the organization is the education lead, so I have the privilege of helping Canadians do exactly what we're talking about this morning, become a little bit more informed about the definition of poverty, about what healthy helping looks like. And one of the things that I think is just a really big privilege is that I've had the opportunity to travel to some of the communities that we work with in the seven different countries that were present in around the world. And 
the thing that I, I think we often struggle with in North America or we don't recognize is that we actually really don't have all the answers to how to address poverty. And so as I have traveled and as we work internationally, we realize that we have a lot to learn from our, our friends and our brothers and sisters in, in various places on the planet. And so what we have done is we have taken some of the experiences and some of what we've learned and we have brought that to Canada and we're using those experiences to teach Canadians about what the definition of poverty is and how we can actually address the issues of poverty right here in our own country. So the exciting project that was launched just over a year ago is called endingpovertytogether.org. It's something that Food for the Hungry is powering, but we're doing it in collaboration with, I believe right now we have about 35 other organizations who are participating together with us. And this site is designed to educate, equip, and empower Canadians around issues of poverty right here in our own country. That's amazing. Yeah, I I didn't even know that in our little research that we did. So I knew that. That's okay. Yeah. So yeah. Caroline always knows more than I do on these subjects. But <laughs> welcome to the podcast. <laughs> um, I'm curious. So you jumped right into uh, ending poverty together and food for the hungry. But is there uh, more we can know about you as a person? Yeah, for sure. What would you like to know? Anything in particular? Um, How do you spend your day? What yeah. are your interests? Who is interests, hobbies? Yeah. Well, the day I would say for me is really never the same <laughs> two in a row. Um, one of the things that God has, one of the ways that God has hardwired me is to love variety. And my role at Food for the Hungry really provides that because I have opportunity to work on the education side of things. I have opportunity to lead the EndingPovertyTogether.org project. I also have opportunity to connect with our donors and our our sponsors, supporters. And that brings me great joy. Um, I am married. My husband teaches at Trinity Western University. Okay. And we have three adult sons. We have three lovely young women and one delightful three-year-old grandson who I would be happy to tell you many stories about if you'd like to know about him. Yes, sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still in the kid stage. I'm, I'm told okay. that grandparenting is uh, far easier than parenting. Uh, well, you know what's true about grandparenting, right? You get to do all the fun things and then you send them home and go to bed. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I, I'm sensing that with, uh, with our kids' grandparents. They like to to do all the fun things and then leave the the hard stuff to us, but that's okay. (laughs) We just want to support you in all the hard things that you do. (laughs) Yeah. That's our role. There you go. So I actually came from a background of career and life coaching before I came to Food for the Hungry. And it was interesting to me because when I came into the, um, the interview for this position, I really wondered how my previous experience would overlap with working in poverty alleviation, but it's remarkable to me how much overlap there is because, and that would connect to something that I know we were, we were wanting to talk about. And that is really what is the definition of poverty 
And when we look at this expanded definition of poverty, it just makes really clear how the work I've done in the past with people who have been in transition, who have been experiencing loss, who are looking for um, new careers, uh, experiencing all kinds of different challenges in life, how very similar that is to working with people who are even living in extreme material poverty. Yeah, and I think that just brings us to our next question. Why don't we dive right in of what exactly is poverty? Because I think when I was growing up, a lot of our assumptions, at least within the church, is to assume it's just about the financial aspect. But actually, mm-hmm. the more I learned, and I we talked about this prior, but you know, the book Helping Hurts, um, and just really expanding my understanding of the fact that it is so much more broad than we actually understand and know. And even on the site, when you take a look at Ending Poverty Together, it actually highlights four different definitions. Like I said, Caroline knows all this. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline and I had a, a chance to chat together too. Oh, so, so it's it was cheater. That's, that's a little bit go. of a cheater. That's it's okay. like I am the podcast manager or something. It's like that. Yeah. I would love to hear you expand more into what are these definitions? What exactly is poverty? Sure. Well, I think the importance of understanding this is if you think just in general about problem solving, if you really want to solve a problem, then you have to understand what's the root cause of the problem. What are the really significant root issues that are creating the problem? Because if you're only looking at symptoms, then you're putting Band-Aids on. And we all know that if there's an infected wound and you put a Band-Aid on it, that doesn't make it better. So we and the work that we do at Food for the Hungry comes from our belief that in Genesis, God created us and intended us to be in four key relationships. So he designed us to be in relationship with him. In the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God. They knew his voice. They interacted with him freely. God also created us to be in a right relationship with ourselves. So he created us in his image, which means we have inherent dignity and worth, that we are designed to live with healthy self-image and purpose. God also created us for a third relationship, and that is with other human beings. So he created Adam and Eve in that healthy, um, intimate, socially connected relationship. He created community among people. And then he also created people to have this fourth relationship, which is with the world, the, the created world that he has given us. And so he desired that people care for and steward and tend to the creation that he so graciously has given us. Unfortunately, as we know, um, that's not where the story ended. Hmm. And so we know from Genesis that um, sin entered in and that in uh, the result of that sin entering in was those key relationships were broken. And so there was no longer freedom to relate directly with God. There was a brokenness there. And Adam and Eve actually hid from God and they felt shame in their their being. They, they wanted to cover themselves up. And that was something that they hadn't experienced before sin entered in. 
And the unity that they had in their social and intimate relationship with each other turned to blame. And there was conflict now in their relationship. And then in terms of the creation and the, the world that God has had given, the, the awe and the wonder and the care for creation was damaged. So when we look at poverty, that's where we start. That's when we, we say, that's when poverty began, when those key relationships were broken. And so now we live on this side of those breaks in relationship, and we know that we are all in need, and those relationships are all in need of healing and reconciliation through Christ. And so without that reconciliation, those relationships continue to just be um, struggling and have difficulties and be broken. And, and what we see then in the world is this expression of brokenness in all of these different categories. So we find, if you think about a broken relationship with God, We've got people chasing after success. We've got people chasing after money or fame or attention. And they're trying to fill this spiritual vacuum or void with something other than that right relationship with God. And if you think of the broken relationship with we have with ourselves, um, we don't recognize the inherent value that we have very often. Our, our self-image is damaged. And so then that can lead to all kinds of issues like mental health issues, addictions, um, just a, even a sense of, I don't know what my purpose is. How do I live with a sense of, of meaning and purposeful um, activity day to day? That can be that we can see that as part of that broken relationship. Uh, when we think of broken relationship with others, we look at how um, families are damaged, um, conflict, how we have power imbalances, how we have exploitation. There's countless numbers of examples of how we just are so unkind to one another and we see the evidence of that brokenness there. And then when you think of, of our created world, um, pollution is often the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, we just have not tended our garden very faithfully or very well. And all of those pieces, when we look at that, the importance of this definition is that when I see that poverty is really about having those broken relationships, and it's not just about a lack of material stuff, then what it does is it says to me, I am as impoverished as someone who is living with a, a lack of food or a lack of housing or a lack of shelter. And so the ground is leveled in that sense. I am equally in need of redemption and reconciliation and healing as anybody else. Now, the difference is I am not equally vulnerable. And I think that's one of the key things that I would love for people to take away from this is we are all impoverished. We are not all equally vulnerable. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to highlight there. And so I'm curious, um, 
just to summarize, would you say, like if you were to say it in a short sentence or two of what poverty is, which is hard because it's a very nuanced and intimate kind of conversation, but it is about those broken relationships and it is mm-hmm. about that in that four categories of like God, self, others, and creation. Um, would you mm-hmm. say that's an accurate statement? I think you just summarized it in a very short, accurate statement. <laughs> that took me a whole lot longer to say than you. Well, I think it's important to really show people that, you know, people can hear that kind of definition. But when you actually hear the examples that come with it, it allows people to really understand in broader um, depth that, you know, we are all impoverished, like you said, but we're mm-hmm. not all vulnerable. And so I'm mm-hmm. really curious of where, how did you guys come to that conclusion of what poverty is? Is it just from looking at the Bible? Is it working from more, I guess, quote unquote, secular institutions? How did this understanding of poverty come from all of this? Because I know growing up in the church, our understanding of poverty where it was like 10 years ago versus now has changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. So food for the hungry, absolutely. We, we work with a biblical worldview. And so this is very much grounded in scripture And um, so we look at the Genesis passages, and that's where we start from. Um, When you're talking about other resources, you referenced earlier the book, When Helping Hurts, put out by the Chalmers Center. That's a resource that I would highly recommend, because that is a group that really understand this as well. And they have put together a variety of different resources. One of the ones that we actually use with teams who are going out to visit our our food for the hungry fields is called when helping hurts in short-term missions and there's free videos online the book has a study guide it really is designed to help churches wrestle with this idea that poverty is more than just a lack of material things it also then really goes into the whole topic of how do we address issues of poverty if If that's the root, then what are the solutions? And so then we start exploring what are those relational responses that we need to have. And maybe this is a good jumping off point. You've said it a couple of times, healthy helping. I really like that that phrase. Um, What does that look like? Can you give us some uh, concrete examples of how to uh, helpfully or healthily help others, Mm -hmm. especially those who are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So maybe what I can do is give you a a brief overview of the food for the hungry model. Sure. Because that is really what we then take and say to Canadians, here's an example of what works. So when we work with a community, we come alongside and we enter into an agreement with a community that is in extreme material poverty. We sign an MOU, a memorandum of understanding that says, we agree to walk with you and you agree to walk with us for about 10 years, which is a long time. And as we enter into that, there are certain things that we agree together with the community. And one of those things is, that we are not here to provide stuff. We are here to build relationships. So the first couple of years when we are working with communities, we are you know, moving into the neighborhood, so to speak. We are getting to know people. We're finding out who are your natural God-given leaders, that people who have the ability to 
uh, direct and to encourage others along the way. We actually talk about um, a term called positive deviance. I don't know if you're familiar with that no. term. But you think of somebody who is doing something different than the majority of people, but it's it's a positive thing. It's a healthy thing. So we're looking for people who are just, they're, they're innovative, if you will, even in really difficult circumstances. And so from that first couple of years, when we're doing a lot of listening and a lot of relationship building, we're gaining trust and we are helping the community determine who they would like to lead themselves into the next steps. And so from that, usually called a village development committee, then those people become key people that our Food for the Hungry staff will walk alongside and will help in all the different sectors. So we're a very holistic organization. We're not just looking at material kinds of, of, of interests. We're also looking at um, larger livelihoods. So what are some sustainable kinds of livelihoods that can be created? We're looking at the social needs of people. We're looking at education and medical leadership, disaster resilience. So it's a very well-rounded approach. Once we have this committee established, then what we're really doing next is coming alongside and saying, what would you like your community to look like? How would you like your children to experience life in this village going forward. And so again, it's not coming in and saying, you should do this, this, and this. Yeah. It's saying, what would you like your life and your community to look like? Now, Shalene, yeah. uh, when you say we come in, is that mostly uh, like uh, North American people or is it indigenous uh, leadership or, or what, is that, what does it look like? What does we yeah, look sure. like? Thanks for asking about that and clarifying that because I think a lot of times in Canada, the assumption is we come in means Canadians or Americans come in and that's absolutely not the case. 98% of our staff on the field are from the country that they're working in. So Cambodians working with Cambodians, Guatemalans working with Guatemalans. And we really believe that that's central to the work that we do and to the success of the work that, that happens because people trust their own people yeah. and people know their own people. And so it's me working with my neighbor and there's just, there is a, a dignity in that mm. that also says, I want to come alongside rather than a perspective of a North American saying, I have all the answers. I'm going to come in and tell you how to do this. And so that's, that's actually really key. So thanks for asking that question, Eric. Oh, you're welcome. And I know <laughs> just to clarify, we, in our conversation before this interview talked a little about um, sustainable aspects. And so I'm just curious as, um, you know, what a student could do or someone who, you know, may be limited in their resources in every aspect, say time, money, whatever it looks like, um, what are aspects that they can partake in to be a part of sustainable helping? I know micro lending is something that I partake in. Um, is there mm -hmm. other, you know, sustainable, healthy ways of helping even as a Canadian living in Toronto or BC or whatever it looks like? 
That's one of the things I love about the endingpovertytogether.org site is my role in that is bringing together organizations in Canada who are doing healthy poverty alleviation right in Canada. So when you go to that site, you have the opportunity to gain from the educational resources that are, that are there, but you also then can know that these are organizations that we have vetted and we know that the work that they're doing is, is healthy and it aligns with this definition of poverty. So from a volunteer perspective, you can go onto the site and you can see who's in your neighborhood, who's in your area, and what kind of work are they doing and what volunteer opportunities might be there. Um, there are so many different ways that people can get involved in their community. And I would say, you know, you, you're talking specifically about students. And I realize that time is a significant commodity that is highly oh, yeah. valued for students. Um, oftentimes they don't necessarily have a lot of money. Um, but if there is an opportunity to participate in something, <clears throat> so one of the things that I was going to share with you a little bit later, but this might be a good time to talk about it is one of the things that a number of churches are really doing well in Canada is they're holding, um, weekly or even a couple times a week community meals. And so this is a great kind of way for a student to participate because free food usually goes over well <laughs> with students. Always love that when I was in university. Exactly. But the heart of a community meal is we all come together, regardless of how vulnerable we are from a financial perspective, and the, the venue is provided and the contents for the meal are provided but everybody shows up beforehand and they participate in setting up the tables, in cooking the food. And so you've got volunteers, you've got people who are living in potentially very vulnerable situations, all working together because everybody needs to eat. And so maybe two, three hours in a week, you come together, you work together, you eat together you get to know people, you build relationship, and then you go back and you study for your chemistry exam or whatever it is that you need to do. Mm -hmm. um, and, but, th and that's one thing I, I know as a student, I thought I was very busy and I had very little time to do anything. And with my 15 hours of class and, you know, <laughs> three hours of homework and, you know, whatever else. Sure. Uh, and now, you know, being an adult with a full-time job and a family and church responsibilities. And, and I look back at myself and I, I, I chuckle <laughs> a little bit to think that I thought I was busy. Mm -hmm. You maybe weren't as busy as you thought. Well, eh? <laughs> life has a way of expanding to fill whatever space you give it. And um, so, you know, when we had one child that filled all of our time and we had two miraculously, we were able to also care for that one. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. well, because it, it you just you, it yeah. fills it fills True. the space, and so I you know I would encourage our listeners that like adding uh, wisely uh, adding something to your plate may not be as devastating to your schedule as uh, as you may fear. And I think also the oh. aspect of like a meal is something that people yeah. are already doing; they're already eating, mm -hmm. and so doing mm -hmm. it in that relationship with others. Um, really, it it falls into that one uh, 
sphere that you're talking about for poverty is, you know, right relationship with others, um, as well as providing, say, a financial need as well, too, for someone who may not be able to. And so something that's something super easy that anyone can do is just, you know, maybe take that extra half an hour to go to this place. Um, but to partake in that kind of meal is such a wonderful example of that kind of holistic, um, healthy mm-hmm. helping that you kind of talked about, Jelaine. Oftentimes, I think people think I've got to go out there and volunteer. And so it's all about I need to give. And when we start with this definition of poverty, what we can take from that is I need to learn. Mm. I need to receive because part of dignity and worth is we both get to give, we both get to receive. And so there's there's something really beautiful about that. So it isn't just about I'm going to go and help somebody who's down and out by participating in this meal. It's going and saying there's a very good possibility that God is going to use this to ch- to transform my life. And what can I learn in this? And that's the beauty of healthy helping is that we open ourselves up to that mutual transformation that happens on both sides of the relationship. Yeah, and I've, I've experienced that. I remember um, being a part of, uh, it wasn't our church, but a church in the community who was doing a, a, a supper in the midweek for uh, specifically targeting newcomers to Canada. There was a number of Syrian mm-hmm. uh, refugees in Guelph and, and uh, going and being a part of that was tremendously rewarding. I learned tons. Uh, and gained a ton of perspective on my life and made some like relationships and friends. It was, it was very, very powerful experience for me. Uh, just Mm -hmm. hearing these people's stories that sat at my table of how they had come to be in this place at this time, you know, the number of countries they had to like flee through and Mm -hmm. the number of times they had lost everything. And, and just couldn't even fathom some of the stories that I was hearing and uh, it was very, very powerful and very encouraging to be a part of that. So I, I've experienced what you're talking about, Shalane, mm-hmm. and would definitely uh, say that it's, it's a great way to, to do that. Kind of on the flip side of what we've been talking about, you've been giving a lot of wonderful examples about how you know churches or people or communities around us have been caring for those who are experiencing poverty and well, I should really correct that and say we're all experiencing poverty. We're just Mm -hmm. perhaps those who are more vulnerable. Um, But I'm curious, more so for a chance to reflect and acknowledge um, the ways that we can grow is what are the ways maybe the church isn't doing so well? Um, The community around us isn't loving those who are experiencing um, poverty who are more vulnerable um, very well. And more so, I even, most of the time during this section, it's more of an opportunity for myself to listen and actually say, oh, Maybe I wasn't actually doing so well in this aspect. And so I'm really curious as someone who's been working in this field for a long time um, and you've seen the changes and seen all the growth that's happened. Um, what are some ways that the church perhaps isn't living up to the standards that they should be? Well, perhaps I can share a story with you that will give some kind of bigger perspective. And I, I would just qualify it by saying, I think very often the intentions are very sincere and that the desire to help within a church is genuine, it's the how that becomes problematic. So if you can just imagine with me a benevolence committee that's sitting around a table and they're thinking about, you know, Christmas is coming 
And we have, we can identify nine families in our church right now who are going through serious issues with health or with um, crises, and it's creating significant financial burdens. And when we look at these nine families, there's 29 children represented there. And those kids are not going to have gifts under the Christmas tree this year. So how can we help those kids? And the discussion goes on and there's banter back and forth. There's ideas that are thrown out and they land on, let's do an angel tree. So they set up a tree in the lobby of the church. And on that tree are tags with the name of each of those 29 kids who aren't going to receive Christmas presents from their parents because of their financial circumstances. So now fast forward to youth night and a 14 year old girl comes walking into the church lobby with her friends and her dad has cancer and she knows that they are in a vulnerable situation, but she has never thought of herself or her family as poor. She just knows that they're working hard to survive and she just wants her dad to be better. And as she's walking through the lobby, she sees this tree that's there. And so she walks over and she sees her name on the tree. And now all of a sudden, she knows that the church community is seeing her as poor. And for the first time, she feels shame and she feels like she has been given a label called somebody who is needy or somebody who is poor. That's my coworker's experience. She was that 14 year old girl. And so as I chatted with her about that, I said to her, so, so what could have been done differently? And she said, you know, the people who came to my mom and slipped her $100 and said, buy yourself, buy your kids some Christmas gifts. Those were the people who helped preserve the dignity of the family and who helped them in a, a way that was not so publicly um, shaming, if you will. I, and and I, I say that hesitantly because I don't ever for a minute believe that that was the intent of the church. But I think what we need to recognize is that the way we help people often can put them in a one down position. And we don't intend for that to be the case. But if we step back and say, what would it actually feel like to be in this person's situation? And how can I preserve the dignity of this individual in the circumstances that they're in? And those are the questions that I think don't get asked in often enough in churches. I have I have an odd question. I don't know if this will make it into the podcast. So we'll just we'll just try it. Okay. <laughs> so I was listening to a comedy special by Dave Chappelle recently. Wow, you're really throwing it just completely from the left wing. <laughs> I, I am. I am. But I've been thinking about this for most of this podcast, wondering whether I should ask this question. Go for it. And he uh, talks about growing up in D.C. and how he was, uh, his family had just enough money to uh, live in white neighborhoods and be poor. 
and he didn't live in the projects, but he, and he, he has funny jokes about all of that. Um, but he says he remembers wanting to go to this dance and, uh, he asks his dad for $3 to go to the dance and his dad says, I don't have $3. Like you just can't go. And he remembers as a kid, just stomping away and yelling, I hate being poor. And his dad stops him and says, you are not poor. Poor is a mental prison that many people never recover from. You are broke. There is a difference. And he says that changed him for the rest of his life. And I wonder you know, the great philosopher, Dave Chappelle, uh, <laughs> how would you, how would you reconcile that? Is that a, is that a positive, like the difference, uh, when we talk about poverty, that, uh, it being kind of a chain around your neck that you can't get out of, or is it, uh, a description of a circumstance? Uh, cause there's the aspect that w- where you talked about relational poverty, but also the vulnerability of, of resources and so on. I just wondered your thoughts on that. I think poverty absolutely has to do with a mindset. Is it, can, oftentimes when we look at people, especially people who are stuck in extreme material poverty, they don't have a belief that something can be different. And so part of what they need is for people to come along inside, alongside of them and say, there is hope. There actually can be change. And so if that's what, if that's what we're talking about, that there's hope and there can be change, then we know where that has to start. It has to start in your head, right? It has to start with a belief that something new can happen. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to look at that just even in terms of, extreme material poverty. I think of so many people that I worked with who were stuck in uh, dead-end jobs or who were looking for a career change, but they, they felt like, I can't make that change happen. I can't do something different. And it's often fear. It's often uh, lies that are going on. So the mental part of, of poverty is definitely a big piece. Um, you can be, well, I think coming back to my coworker, she, their family was broke, right? Their family had a lot of financial issues, but they didn't see themselves as poor mm-hmm. until somebody from the outside gave them that label. So the opposite can be true as well, right? I can see myself as being extremely poor. And you think of some of the richest people in the world. I believe it was Rockefeller that said, how much money is, you know, too much or not enough or whatever, however it was that he said it. And it's $1 more, right? I need $1 more. So there's a mindset that's definitely part of this. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally, totally agree. On, on the flip side, are there things that you see the church doing really well uh, right now as you look around and, and look at your partner organizations and different things? I think, I'm, as I mentioned earlier, this idea of the community meals, um, I know of churches who are becoming engaged with uh, food banks, and instead of using a food bank model, which is, was really initially designed as a, a relief kind of situation, so an emergency situation, 
where these this food is required in order for people to to stay alive and to be able to eat they're moving beyond that model and they are developing opportunities for building relationship and building community and you know i'm going to start to sound like a broken record as we go through all these different things but the short version would be where churches are really doing well in addressing these issues is where they are using the creativity that God has given them to build into people's lives and to get out of the building and go into the community and find out who are my neighbors and and what do they need and what can I learn from them? I think churches who are addressing issues of poverty are churches who have come to the recognition that I can't wait for people to come to me and come to my building. I actually have to go out. We have to go out and participate in the community in a variety of different ways. And so we see lots of churches doing that. There's a church in Vancouver who runs a cafe where they actually have people who are living in homelessness, people who are in extremely vulnerable situations, who, they, who come in and they are given opportunities to gain life skills by working in the kitchen. So they're taught food safe. They're being able to get some certification so that they can actually have these, these job skills that they can take out and, and potentially find paid employment. Um, then the people who come into the cafe are coming in and they're encouraged to pay for their meal, even if it's five cents. But there's something about I'm coming in and I'm actually paying for this. And then they're sitting down at a table and people are being served. They're not, it's not walking through a food line where food is being put on your plate and you don't have choice. You sit down and you get to choose what it is. So I use that as an illustration just to say it's it's creative, it's different, but it's thinking about how can we respect the dignity and the worth and the value of these people. That's wonderful. That's so encouraging to hear. And I think we also help with uh, the conference main session. So we've been exploring some of those topics and hearing people's stories as well, too. So it's really encouraging to see that you know, churches or even some nonprofits or just random businesses are also helping to keep the dignity of those who are most vulnerable. And so Mm -hmm. my next question is, I'm kind of curious of where are we seeing the most pronounced vulnerability in this generation uh, within Canada or even globally as well, too? Well, I guess my question back to you would be, how are you defining vulnerability? That's a great question. Boom, she got you. (laughs) <laughs> Technically, this is Eric's question, so. No, no. <laughs> that is a great question. Um, I guess for me, I would love to know uh, when it comes to the poverty definition of um, community, actually, of relationship of people who are experiencing poverty within uh, other and within self, I guess. Mm-hmm. And this is for selfish reasons, because I studied sociology and psychology. So I'm just interested in that aspect. Sure. I think one of the concerns that I see with people who are, um, I would say, likely 30 and under, is that uh, all of the opportunities that we have with social media and with our online friends is often actually quite isolating. 
And that's not to say that there can't be some community that can happen online, but where that is replacing face-to-face community, I think we're seeing evidence of that. I don't think, I know we're seeing evidence of that in the, in numbers of people who are dealing with anxiety and loneliness. And so when, when we're talking about vulnerability, that's a vulnerable population. If there isn't that relational connection and that face-to-face community where people know that they matter and that they belong. And we're seeing a lot of people from that 30 and under generation who are not connecting into church because church isn't meeting their needs. And so I would say the call to the church then is to be really aware of who who are these generations and what do they need and how do we need to change and adapt in order to meet those needs. And that's where one of those, the comment that I made earlier about we need to stop expecting that people will come into our buildings and we need to get out in the community and do our ministry differently. That's very much a generation that is is coming to mind. Definitely. I think that's something even we as an organization are recognizing and seeing um, as we journey with some students on campus and also in life. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you so much for giving your time and allowing us to explore a bit more about poverty. I know for me, it's been a long journey of opening my mind when it comes to understanding poverty, that it's so much more than just the financial or resource aspect. Um, but even understanding like the definitions and having that clear definition helped me through even looking at the ending Poverty Together website of having that clear like structure of, oh, you know, there is like poverty when it comes to God, self, others, and creation. Um, mm-hmm. And those are all important in the way that we interact and be image bearers within the world. Um, but yeah, on Undiscussed, we like to give our guests uh, the final words, whether that's a piece of advice, a lasting impression, or maybe just a question that you want our listeners to resonate and reflect on. Um, the space is yours. Well, thank you. The one scripture passage that I often come back to when I think of this topic, because for me, a big part of this discussion is, what do I need to do differently? How do I need to be changed? How do I interact with my family? And how do I help in healthy ways? Um, And so I come back often to 2 Kings 4, and the first seven verses where Elisha is talking to the widow who has um, just a desperate situation because creditors are coming to take her boys away as slaves. And it's the model that is that God sets out for us there is a model of healthy helping. Elisha's first interaction with her is, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And then as you go through and you read those verses, you see that Elisha comes alongside and he helps her determine a path towards sustainability. He maintains her dignity. He involves her family. He involves her larger community. And I just think there's so much that I have to learn from that. And it's not just about how do I deal with the person who's asking me for money when I'm walking into the store. It's about how am I dealing with relational, spiritual, all these different kinds of poverty 
And am I helping and coming alongside people in really healthy ways? So that would be my my final challenge. Thanks so much for being with us, Shalane, and uh, broadening our perspective on what poverty is and how we can uh, be healthy in our helping and giving us a broader definition. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been great to spend some time with you two. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Shalane. And we'll see our listeners again on our next episode of Undiscussed.